Hey, good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good Tuesday. It is a little different this week. We're actually live on YouTube, which hopefully if some of you are catching this live. Um, if you didn't know about it, that's okay. Unfortunately, last week, our one-year anniversary show, I was uh, under the weather and wasn't able to, to answer the bell. I know, week happens. But we are now going to be doing this live every Tuesday morning on YouTube. Eventually may expand where we do it live as well. So if you get a chance, tune in live. If you aren't able to tune in live, you can still always catch us at the usual spots and consume the podcast that way. A lot going on this week, of course. Legal tampering period, one of my favorite things. We'll get into that. The Bills have decided to run it back, and that's a good thing, I think. We'll talk about that. March Madness is upon us. The brackets are out. Syracuse, St. Bonaventure, both in. Good thing. Uh, Good thing that St. Bonaventure looks like it won't lose its coach anytime soon again, which is a good thing because Mark Schmidt does a damn good job down in Olean. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the bracket, Syracuse chances, another Rochester young man making the NBA never before in my memory or research has shown that Rochester has had three kids in the NBA the way we do now. The 585 basketball programs really turning out some high quality players and individuals, and I couldn't be prouder. Of the 5A5 for that. But let's start with the Bills. They're offseason. They've decided to run it back. And, and, you know, it's a good thing, I think. I think. Look, there's only three things that can happen in an offseason in the NFL. Your team gets worse. Your team gets better through additions. Or your team pretty much stays the same. Well, the Bills won the AFC East and got to the AFC Championship game last year. And they've decided to bring it back. And in doing so, have set themselves up going forward for a team that I think can compete for a couple of years. The Josh Allen window is just beginning. Josh going into his fourth year isn't making real money yet. He'll make a good chunk in his fifth year when the Bills pick up that fifth year option and likely will have an extension tacked on beyond that. And as we know from what Dak Prescott signed for, the extension for a franchise quarterback now is in the neighborhood of $40 million. So the salary cap is going to continue to be challenging for Brandon Bean. But if you look at what he did this year, in a year where the salary cap dropped almost $20 million, you know, every year the cap goes up traditionally. Well, if you look at The cap this year, because of the pandemic, it went down. Well, new television money is coming in over the next couple of years, which means the $182 million that the cap has set at this year is likely to be dwarfed in the next couple of years. So I think the Bills are going to be in very good shape. They've done a great job managing the cap this offseason, which will set them up for the next couple of years when the cap jumps precipitously. It's it's likely to go from 182 next year, probably 210. 
So that's an extra $30 million under the cap that Bills will have. But the restructuring and the, and the cuts that the Bills made have allowed this offseason to be, in my opinion, a success already for Brandon Bean. You cut Quentin Jefferson and John Brown. Those were luxury moves, if you will. John Brown at $9 million, a third receiver at best, a fourth receiver, depending on Gabriel Davis. You like John Brown. You like his speed. You like what he brings to the team. But at the same time, it's a luxury item at this point. And when you're trying to pair your budget, luxury items are the first to go. So that happens that way. But I think more important than just eliminating players like Brown and Jefferson were the restructuring of deals by guys like Mitch Morris, Mario Addison, Vernon Butler, and Tyler Matakevich, the special teams player. You add some incentives, they'll likely make their money back, but it freed up cap money and allowed Brandon B not only to bring back Matt Milano, a guy that many people me included, thought would be gone. But also Daryl Williams at right tackle on a three-year deal and John Feliciano at left guard. Feliciano brings an attitude, a toughness, and versatility to the offensive line. You look now, that offensive line, it is back intact for this year. And that's based on what type of offseason the NFL plans if it's another year like last year where you know you don't have the traditional days of quarterback camps and rookie camps and mini camps and all of those things you get to training camp the bills have a familiarity with themselves and, and and you look at that offensive line left tackle Deion Dawkins Feliciano at left guard Morris in the center Daryl Williams at right tackle that leaves right guard Let's not forget about Cody Ford. Cody Ford was a second-round draft pick a couple years ago. Tried him at right tackle, he was okay. Tried him at right guard, he was better than okay. This past year at right guard, he struggled. But again, in camp, he was waffling back and forth between tackle and guard. Well, after seeing what Daryl Williams did in the full season, there's no doubt who the right tackle is going to be going forward. They just signed him to a three-year deal. Cody Ford gets to play guard now exclusively from day one at camp. He'll probably be penciled in as a starting right guard. I think that helps a lot if, with a young player getting himself in position to help the team. So you look at that offensive line, it is back. And frankly, start looking at the offense. You've got the wide receiver group, minus John Brown, but with Gabriel Davis. You've still got Cole Beasley. You've still got Stephon Diggs. That that group is going to be intact. The running backs, Moss will be back from injury. Of course, Devin Singletary back. I wouldn't be surprised, and I'll get to this in a minute, if there's another name thrown into that mix at running back. Of course, quarterback Josh Allen. So offensively, you have basically the same team that put up huge numbers this year, and you've got the same offensive coordinator. Brian Dable did not get a head job. You've got the same quarterback coach. Everything remains the same on the offensive side of the ball, defensively. Yes, you've lost Vernon Butler. You've also maintained your linebacker group. Now with Milano coming back, 
joining A.J. Klein, who will be back, and Tremaine Edmonds in the middle. So the linebackers are going to stay the same. You re-sign Micah Hyde, so the safeties are good with Hyde and Poyer. Of course, Tredavious White, the question on the other side of, of Tredavious White is, who's going to man that? Levi Wallace is a restricted free agent. Likely, the Bills won't be able to keep him. So when you look at this team, I guess you got to ask two questions. One is, is the same team good enough or will it get better because they're together and they're more experienced and they've learned a lot? Or does there need to be improvement? And I think there still can be improvement. I think that free agency, though, the bills are cash strapped. I think there's one item that they can purchase. I think they, you know, it's, we've all done this. You go shopping. You get the necessities and you get to the bakery and you might be able to get that one thing in the bakery. I think that's where the bills are shopping. And and frankly, I think it's tight end. I think the bills would love to add a piece. And, and I don't know that it'll be Hunter Henry who's still available. I think that he would be out of their price range, but I would expect a veteran tight end to come along and join Dawson Knox. And if Dawson Knox is a second tight end or a 1A to a 1B, I like the position group. I don't think Dawson Knox with guys like Tyler Croft and Lee Smith is good enough. I, I just don't think that's good enough in this pass offense. But I think adding somebody else who may be similar to Knox is good enough. Now, all of a sudden, you could go two tight ends and you've got two guys who can get down the field and get open and give Allen an outlet as a way of getting rid of the ball over the middle. I think that's important. So I would expect the Bills to add a tight end in free agency. And then you look at the draft and the first, second round picks will need to be impact players this year, in my opinion. And I, I think there's a chance the Bills go unconventional and trade down out of the first round. I think that would be a huge deal going forward because a lot of times at the end of the first round, teams want to jump back in, especially if there's a quarterback prospect. Think of Lamar Jackson a couple of years ago. He had slid almost all the way out of the first round. The Ravens jumped back in to draft him with the 32nd pick. Because of the fact first-round pick gets a fifth-year option. And that's huge when you're developing a quarterback. So you look at a guy like Mac Jones or maybe Trey Lance, if they slide and they're there, the Bills, in my opinion, should be willing to listen. They could potentially pick up a second-round pick and next year a first if they trade out. I think that would be a nice deal going forward. And then you've got two second-round picks. And to me, the two positions, first and foremost, a cornerback to go opposite Tredavious White, and you'd get tremendous value at that position in the second round. And keep an eye on the running back position. The more you look at this team, depth is needed everywhere. You need depth on the offensive line. You need depth in the wide receiver room. You need depth at tight end, as I talked about. But you need a number one back, in my opinion, a guy who's going to make other teams worry about the run. 
Right now, teams aren't. They're worried about Josh Allen in the passing game. We've seen it too often. So I, I like the idea of possibly in the second round getting a Travis Etienne if he falls out of the first round, kid from Clemson who can do a little bit of everything. I would like to see that. I just, I'm not a first round running back guy. I think the position has changed. I think the game has changed. But in the second round, if that guy's available, go get him. I, I definitely think that this Bills offseason so far has been a home run for Brandon Bean. But as I'm about to explain, it's going to be a lot tougher for the Bills because of their division. NFL free agency, legal tampering period, began yesterday. First off, it's tampering, it's not legal. It can't be. They're contradictory terms. How can it be legal tampering? It's like legal murder. No, it's not. It's illegal, but you're just looking the other way. It's kind of like doing 70 miles an hour on the throughway. Nobody gets pulled over for doing 70 on the throughway. If you do 80, you might get pulled over. 70, you're fine. It's legal speeding, if you will. It's not legal. It's allowed. Allowed tampering happened yesterday. And you get a lot of free agent signings. And within the division, two teams really stand out because the Patriots changed their ways. The Patriots have long been a team that loses free agents, gets compensatory picks, and manages their cap. Well, the Patriots are also a team that make the playoffs and win the AFC East every year. When things change, you need to change too. And Bill Belichick did that yesterday. They brought in Jonu Smith, the tight end from Tennessee, who's been a weapon for the Titans over the last couple of years. They brought in Nelson Aguilar and paid him a lot of money. Kendrick Bourne, another wide receiver. The skill position group for the Patriots over the last year, actually go back a year before that, Brady's last year, has just been bad. It has not been good. And they've drafted poorly, so why not go get free agents? But you don't generally see this. And defensively, they signed a couple guys. Matthew Judon from the Ravens, very good pass rusher. Henry Anderson, cheap player from the Jets. Bills fans hate this guy. They signed all of those players yesterday. The Patriots improved themselves yesterday. They're not going to be the pushover they were last year. You look at the Jets. The Jets are going to be an interesting team because of the Sam Darnold situation. What do you do with Sam? Do you go forward with him one more year and see if he can finally grow into the player they hoped they were drafting? I mean, Sam Darnold has regressed, not improved in his three years. You can make all the excuses you want. Bad coaching, bad offensive line, poor skill position players around him. But the bottom line is Sam Darnold's done very little to help himself as well. So if you're Joe Douglas, the Jets GM, where do you fall on this? With a quarterback-rich draft and the second overall pick, do you look at this and say, I'm going to trade down from two, get a bunch of picks, continue to build my roster, run it back with Sam, see if he finds lightning in the bottle? Or am I going to stay there and take the second-best quarterback in the draft? And we don't know yet who that will be. Could be Justin Fields, could be the kid from BYU, Wilson. We'll see where it lands. But 
it's it's an interesting offseason. But what the Jets did yesterday, I thought, is started the rebuild, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They bring in Carl Lawson from Cincinnati, very good pass rusher. Numbers weren't great, but the pressures were there. He's kind of a Jerry Hughes-type player, if you will. Jerry Hughes doesn't get a lot of sacks, but he's impactful on a good percentage of his plays. That's Carl Lawson for the Bengals. And, and it's funny, when it's your team signing the free agent, it's a great deal. When it's not your team, you look at the contract and say, I'd never sign that guy to that contract. That's free agency in the NFL, in a nutshell. And Carl Lawson's one of those guys. I like the fact that they brought in Jared Davis. C.J. Mosley opted out last year, and he's a good linebacker. If he comes back, bring Jared Davis, a guy who can run sideline to sideline. Never really find, found his footing in Detroit. But this is a high draft pick, really athletic player. I think that could be lightning in a bottle. And then on the offensive side, they bring in Corey Davis, another really high draft pick. I think he went fifth overall to the Titans, something maybe maybe seventh. But Corey Davis is a, a good player. He, he never really became the star that he was drafted to be. But if he lines up outside, you've got a weapon, and he is a weapon. So the Jets have improved in the last 24 hours. And again, the draft is going to be huge for the Jets. And I, I, I like what Joe Douglas has done so far with that team. Dolphins already are a good team. So the AFC East is a better division today than it was yesterday. And that's probably a bad thing for the Bills. Again, they haven't improved unless you consider keeping the same team together, giving it a year of experience and growing as a team. If that's going to be your improvement, I think that's the only way the Bills improve. I, I do think they can add in the draft and they hit lightning. If they catch lightning in a bottle with one or two picks, then yes, they can show some improvement. But Brandon Bean's had a great offseason. It's going to be a challenge this year in the AFC East. Drew Brees has retired. We knew that was coming. No big surprise there. Brees, though, leaves a huge hole for the Saints. And the Saints are a well-rounded team. They play salary cap gymnastics every year, move on from players, restructure players. This year's no different. They lost pass rusher Trey Hendrickson to the Bengals yesterday. He was a double-digit sack guy. So the Bengals, they lose Lawson and bring in Hendrickson. So it's kind of a wash there. But the Saints have a quarterback issue. The first thing they did is they agreed to an extension to keep Taysom Hill. Four years, 140. That's $35 million a year. Now, the guaranteed money, it's all voidable. That means it's not real money. But if you're paying Taysom Hill $35 million a year, I, I can't help you. I, I just don't see Taysom Hill as an every-down quarterback. He's a great athlete, and as somebody who could go in as a change-up and you know, run a few plays and I, yes, sign me up. But Jameis Winston re-signed yesterday. And to me, this is another Jameis Winston betting on himself, a one-year deal, somewhere in the neighborhood of $12 million. Winston is a guy I think who can be 
a quarterback that leads the team to the playoffs. In Tampa, he didn't take care of the football. You can't throw 30 picks and play winning football. You just can't do it. But Jameis also has the ability to throw 40 touchdowns. So if you can continue to help him mature, work on his decision-making, I really think there's something there. And Sean Payton, who's done a great job offensively for the Saints over the last couple of years, is the right coach to get that out of Jameis Winston. So they're an interesting team. My favorite move of the day, though, yesterday was made by the Washington Redskins. I'm sorry. Put a dollar in the swear jar. The Washington football team. The football team signed to be their quarterback next year, the cockroach, Ryan Fitzpatrick. What do you mean, the cockroach? Well, I refer to Ryan Fitzpatrick as a cockroach because you can't kill a cockroach. And even if you do, a hundred more show up. It's like there's a hundred more Ryan Fitzpatricks. Ryan Fitzpatrick will now quarterback his ninth team. Think about that. Nine teams. He's played for the Rams, Bengals, Bills, Titans, Texans, Jets, Bucks, Dolphins, and now the Washington football team. With Tyler Heineke being signed already, young man who showed great promise down the stretch last year, the Washington team has gotten rid of Alex Smith, the comeback player of the year. I get that. Alex Smith's still out there. A lot of talk. He will go back to his college coach, Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, help tutor Trevor Lawrence. I would love Alex Smith to sign in Dallas and be the backup to Dak Prescott, but I don't think that's likely to happen. I don't think the Cowboys' budget is going to be very good for bringing in an established veteran backup quarterback even though last year showed how important that position is. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, who had a really good run in Miami, now brings everything that comes with Fitzmagic to Washington. His teammates love him. His leadership is unquestioned. His heart is unquestioned. His ability is questionable. And and that's where it's interesting with this guy because he'll make plays that you look at and you go, that's a great throw. What a great read. Then he'll make a play that you look at and go, what are you doing? And that's always been who he is, what he is. But the Reds, the the Washington football team got better because of the cockroach. So that's my favorite signing. If I had a second favorite signing, Tennessee lost a lot yesterday, but they also signed Bud Dupree. And Bud Dupree, if you don't know who he is, he is a guy who played at Georgia and with the Steelers, tore up his knee last year. So going into his free agent year, coming off a knee injury, I was glad to see him get signed, get paid, get get some money, and get an opportunity to show the league what he can still do. He's a heck of a football player, got overlooked because T.J. Watt is so special. But I really think that Bud Dupree signing in Tennessee is something that's really going to allow the Titans to continue to be a pretty good defensive football team. 
free agency will continue. And again, it's only one day old. Eight of the top 10 free agents are off the board. A lot of other top free agents never got on the board because of franchise tags. But keep an eye on the bills as this thing winds on because it's like anything else. It's like an auction. Early on, the prices are high. And then after people have spent some money, prices start coming back. Brandon Bean has some money, not a ton. Keep an eye on the tight end position. I, I do think that's where the Bills will shop. So that's the football news. March Madness is upon us. And amazingly, yet again, Syracuse has survived the bubble. The annual Rite of Spring in central New York. You know, the groundhog, you get that whole thing. You get that March storm. You get a lot of things that go on in March. St. Patrick's Day is tomorrow. Green beer will be flowing. And Syracuse on the bubble. And this year, late wins in the season over Clemson and Carolina set up the ACC tournament. New Orange go down to Greensboro, get a nice win over NC State where they dominated most of that game. Then they play Virginia, the number one seed in the ACC tournament. They had a lead, and then late, it's tied up. They lose on the last second shot. But I think the way they've been playing, coupled with the three wins in a row, Jim Beheim's point about the fact that they didn't have top-tier games at the Dome, they were all on the road, their tier one games, I think that helped as well. And they get in as an 11 seed, and they play San Diego State. So the Orange didn't have to get in as a seed that you thought was going to be in, in a play-in game. They were above that. They're a team that you look at, and I think they can do noise. And I saw this on Scott Van Pelt's show last night. By the way, the only – thing worth watching on ESPN other than live games is Scott Van Pelt. He's fantastic. But I saw this last night that the ESPN's BPI index, it's, it's a basketball power index, it's a predictor tool, has over the last four years identified a double-digit seed that moves on to the Sweet 16. Either it's first or second choice of a double-digit seed has moved on since 2016, and it's happened every year, either the first or second choice. The first choice this year, according to BPI, of a double-digit seed going to the Sweet 16 is Syracuse. The second is Virginia Tech. So if history repeats, and again, these predictor tools are fairly accurate for a reason, Either Syracuse or Virginia Tech gets to the Sweet 16. And if you look at Syracuse, you look at their road, I think they have a good chance to do that. First off, Buddy Beheim's on fire. When you go into the tournament and one of your key players is playing his best basketball, that gives you confidence. Buddy's ability to stroke it from the outside has opened so many things up for this Orange team over the last couple of weeks. You've seen Quincy Carrier getting more looks inside. You're seeing Joe Girard take it to the basket a little bit more. Kadari Richmond always can get to the rim. So 
you're getting things opened up in the middle in part because the defense does not want to leave Buddy. You'd rather give up a layup than a three to Buddy Bayheim. So that in itself has the Orange in good position. Over the last couple of weeks, the zone defense that Syracuse is famous for has been much better. The rebounding, always an issue this year, has been better. They've had a more concerted effort to get work done on the boards. Let's talk about San Diego State, team that they play Friday night. San Diego State has only two players in double figures. Matt Mitchell is their leading scorer. He's averaging 15 and a half a game. He's a 36% three-point shooter. Jordan Shako shoots 47% from three, averages 14.3 points per game. So right there, that tells you that there's a guy that you can't leave if you're Syracuse. The low wings, Garrier, and whether it's Alan Griffin or if it's Marek, if you've got Jesse Edwards in the middle, have to be cognizant to get out on Shako wherever he is. 47% means you can shoot it. You can flat out stroke it. So this is going to be tough because, again, when you shoot it well against the zone, you're going to have opportunities to shoot it well. If you can shoot it, get that confidence going, Syracuse is going to have to hang in there. And I think it's going to be interesting in the bubble. They're playing at Hinkle Fieldhouse. It's a cool old building. There's going to be some fans in there. There's not going to be a ton. But it's going to be a different sort of March Madness. You don't have the big crowd who's going to jump on with the hot player and, and just find somebody to root for. This is going to be a little bit different. San Diego State has two pretty good wins this year. They beat UCLA and Arizona State. The rest of their wins and have basically been in conference. And they've had some good wins. They've had some tough losses. Utah State beat them twice, back-to-back. This is a team, I think, that can be had by Syracuse. The the spread's one-and-a-half to two. Syracuse is an underdog. That's a legitimate thing. But if you were to say, okay, Syracuse wins this game, you look at the next bracket that they're going to face. The other half of their bracket is West Virginia and Moorhead State. West Virginia is a three seed out of the Big 12. Bobby Hagan's group isn't a traditional defensive group like Hagan's is known for. Traditionally, Hagan's is all defense, some offense. That's not the case with this team. This team can score a little bit. They don't defend quite as well. It's also a team that, and this is big with Syracuse, because their zone is so unique. When they get to the tournament and they're playing teams that haven't seen that zone, this is the first time. To try to simulate it, you can't do it. It's an advantage for the Orange to play teams they haven't seen. San Diego State and Syracuse have played three times in history. One of them was on an aircraft carrier. So there's not a ton of history between the two schools. So you look at that, I think that's advantage Orange. West Virginia and Syracuse haven't played in years. They used to be an annual thing. Now it's not. And because of that, I think that the Orange have a possibility of running an upset there as well. 
So this could be a longer run than we thought possible a couple of weeks ago. I personally thought they were done and buried. They've turned it around. They've continued to improve. And I think now they have a legitimate shot to get to the Sweet 16. And if you want to go that far, Clemson Rutgers is one line of the other half of the bracket that the Orange play. And Houston's the two seed against Cleveland State. Houston moves on, likely. I think that Rutgers is going to give Clemson all it can handle. Syracuse saw them early in the year. And if it's Rutgers or Clemson, Syracuse played with Rutgers on the road early in the year. They weren't as good then as they are now. I think that they can compete. So uh, maybe I'm orange dreaming here a little bit. But I think this team, especially the way it's been playing lately, has a chance to to get further in the tournament than I would have thought possible going forward. I think that they got a good seed. One team that didn't get a good seed, in my opinion, is the St. Bonaventure Bonnies. They're a nine seed. They play LSU. Will Wade's a cheater, the LSU coach. He certainly is going to bring his checkbook anywhere he goes where there's a recruit around i'm speaking about allegations that somehow this guy still has a job but he is a cheater it's going to be a tough battle for mark schmidt's group but if you're a bona fan even if they go one and done and don't get by lsu i'm going to give you something good yesterday bc hired their new coach and his name wasn't mark schmidt mark schmidt it's bc alum He's a hell of a basketball coach. He's had great success down in Olean with the Bonnies. It's not just one team that he's brought to the tournament. He's done this now a couple times where he's built a team up, loses players because they graduate, brings in a new group. And one of the key players, and I'll never forget this because this shows something about Mark Schmidt, the A-10 tournament MVP was Asun Asunier, the Bonaventure Center. That's a kid a few years ago, was a late recruiting situation. Syracuse wanted him badly. Bonaventure beat out Syracuse to get this kid. If you watch him play, if you know of him, he's exactly what Syracuse wants in the middle of their 2-3. Long, active, athletic, big. When's the last time Syracuse has had a guy who fits that description? Barama Sidibe is long, somewhat athletic, but he can't score. Asunye can score. He can finish. He can shoot from 15 feet. He's solid. He's a very good player. And, again, it shows what Mark Schmidt has down in Bonaventure. And, again, if you're a Bonnie's fan, yeah, the LSU pairing sucks, and if you win that, you likely get Michigan. It's not as bad, though, because Mark Schmidt will likely be back and only end next year, and this train will continue. He's done a great job down there. Good for him. A couple other games of note that I want to talk about in the tournament. Iona, Alabama is an interesting game. Nate Oates, the former UB coach. By the way, Nate Oates doesn't like Will Wade either. If you saw the end of that game, When Nate Oates looked down at Alabama and said, get the bleep out of here. Yeah. Or looked down at LSU and said, get the bleep out of here. 
Yeah, that that shows how intense Nate Oates is. He's not here to kiss anybody's ring, and he certainly won't be kissing Rick Pitino's ring. Pitino has brought the Iona Gales to the tournament. Oh, by the way, Rick Pitino, now that he's back in college coaching, there have been several openings over the last couple days. I wouldn't be surprised if he's one and done at Iona. I wouldn't be surprised if he's at a Power 5 school next year. Rick Pitino can coach. He's always going to be able to recruit. And Rick Pitino is a guy that if somebody takes a chance on, their basketball program will be better. By the way, his son just got fired from Minnesota. I doubt that'll be a job that Rick Pitino would take. But there are teams out there and there are schools out there looking for the right guy to bring in and win basketball games. Rick Pitino's that guy. That's going to be a hell of a game. Iona's going to give Alabama all they can handle. I really like Alabama going forward. I think they can win a couple of games. Nate Oates, guys, it's a guards tournament, always has been. He's got a great backcourt. We'll see how things go from there. This year's tournament, to me, comes down to the biggest question, and it's an easy one. Can Gonzaga go through the tournament undefeated? They go into the tournament ranked number one and undefeated, and they're undefeated. Can they get through it? They've got veterans. They've got a great young guard in Suggs. This team, I've watched them several times. I'll be shocked if they're not a team in the championship game. I honestly will be very stunned. And if you look at it, Oklahoma, Missouri is the 8-9. I don't see either of those teams competing with them. Virginia, and we don't know what to make of Virginia, is on the other end of their bracket, along with Creighton. Creighton, who got blown out in the Big East final. So I'm not optimistic about that. The number two seed in the West region is Iowa. And Iowa I've seen several times this year. Luca Garza is a very good college basketball player, big man who can shoot it from deep. He can finish inside. But the Iowa team around him is so hit and miss, and they've had some key injuries. They're just not always on the same page. So I'm not a big fan of that. Kansas is in there. Now, they've had COVID problems. Kansas is a dangerous team. But I look at Gonzaga and think this is a cakewalk to the Final Four. An East bracket. Michigan, their best player, Livers, has a foot injury. He may be out, and, and that may spell doom for them. You look throughout that, Florida State is the four seed. Georgetown, Colorado, is the 512 in that one. I, I saw Colorado a couple week couple times this past weekend. Oh, by the way, sidebar. Listening to Bill Walton broadcast the game is one of the worst experiences I've had watching games. I, look, I've never liked Dick Vitale's announcing style. Vitale, though, is such a good man that I kind of give him a pass. He's raised so much money for cancer research especially pediatric cancer research, huge part of the V Foundation, which has done so much good work for cancer research. 
that I, I give Vital a pass in his announcing style. Walton, who was a great player and maybe the best guy of all time, first off, he doesn't do any research. He likened a player to Kevin Durant the other day. And the the player was from USC, Mobley, who's likely going to be a top five pick in the draft. Mobley's range is about 12 feet at this point. Good player. Don't get me wrong. But Kevin Durant, if you remember him at Texas as a freshman, his one year in college basketball, was a lights-out shooter. Bill Walton actually audibly said, was Kevin Durant knocking down jump shots at 19 years old? Have you, have you never seen Kevin Durant play college basketball? Do you do any research at all? It's just amazing. He, he goes on these tangents, and I think people find him entertaining. I find him so annoying. I, I, I just cannot listen to the man when he's doing a game. I, I hope he's not working any of the tournament games. He is just horrendous. But anyway, Colorado's a team that I don't see winning very many games. I just don't think they're very good. They've got some inside presence, but guys who don't like contact but create contact, just I'm not liking that at all. I think Alabama has a chance in this one to get all the way to the final eight. And I think it's Alabama and Florida State coming out of this one. Keep an eye on Texas, too. I like what Shaka Smart has done now that he has hair. I think that Texas is a pretty good team. In the Midwest, that's a Syracuse bracket. Illinois is a team to beat. The more I watch them this year, the more I like them. They've got Baby Shaq, Coburn in the middle. He is a big body. They've got shooters surrounding him. They've got a lot of speed, team speed, where they can push it and finish. You look through this bracket, I don't see a ton of talent other than that. Oklahoma State with Cade Cunningham will be interesting. Can he carry a team as a freshman? And the one thing I, I, I like Cade Cunningham's game a lot, I find him too passive at times. He lets the game come to him, which is a maturity trait, and, and I like that. But I think this time of year, if you're Cade Cunningham, you got to go get it. And then in the South, Baylor's the team to beat. Baylor, North Carolina in the second weekend, in the second round, could be very interesting as you look further down. Colgate's a team that I think could give Arkansas all it can handle. Florida, Virginia Tech, I, I don't like the Gators. I, I think that they're a team that benefited from a overrated SEC. Ohio State on the two line is a team that I find very interesting. Ohio State lost Illinois in the Big Ten Championship game. They could score inside with Liddell. He can also step out. They've got good shooting. They've got veteran guards. They've also got young guards coming off the bench who give them some excitement. They've got the kid young, a physical player. I really, really like Ohio State. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's Baylor, Ohio State, and Ohio State gives them all they can handle. So if you look at it, I'm basically predicting chalk to get to the final four, either ones or twos, maybe a four seed here or there. 
But I think Gonzaga's the team to beat, and I think Gonzaga will be the team cutting down the nets, and they will go undefeated and match what Indiana did in 1976. It's been a long, long time since anyone has gone undefeated in college basketball and won the whole thing. So that's the March Madness update. Uh, hockey update. Sabres still suck, in case you were wondering. We saw a stat the other day of the Sabres' goals counted for two in their opponents' traditional one point per goal. They'd still be like 3-11 and 11 over their last 14. This team is just awful. That's night shut out, blown out at home. It's, it's, it's a disaster. They couldn't sell 1,900 tickets to their season ticket base. They had to open them up online, and I believe they're still not sold out. So the best thing that's happened to Sabres organization is also the worst thing that's happened. No fans equal no revenue. That's no bueno. That's pretty obvious. No fans equals no booing. That in itself is actually a pretty good thing because I can't imagine anyone spending money to go see this team play. Again, if you're an Islanders fan and they're playing the Islanders and you want to go or a Bruins fan, yeah, I get that. Go go then and watch the team play. But, man, this is just bad, bad hockey. And nothing's changed. Nothing's happened. The Ralph Kruger death march, if you will, continues on, and there's no end in sight. I don't know if this team is looking at this like, what good would it do now with Eichel's injury possibly being season-ending? With Dylan Cousins now hurt, maybe the injuries have just gotten to the point where they've thrown in the towel. But it's not like there's a Rasmus Stalin to, to tank for this year, although Rasmus Stalin doesn't look like he was worth tanking for anyway. Doesn't look like he's worth much of anything on the ice right now. He likes to watch guys skate by him and score goals. Well, maybe he doesn't like it, but he's getting used to it. It's a mess, and it's not getting better. And Sabre fans are so passionate and so loyal. They have my deepest sympathies. I just, I hate seeing the fact that this happened to this once proud franchise. I hope one of these days I'm going to come on and say something happened and it's different. But until then, I'm just going to say, hey, the Sabres still suck. Yeah, there's my Sabre update. NBA update in we don't talk a ton of NBA here. It's a long season, and I think until the playoffs, most people check out and don't really care. But I got to bring up Anthony Lamb, young man from Greece, Athena, who is now a member of the Houston Rockets. He joins Thomas Bryant and Isaiah Stewart as guys from Rochester who are in the NBA. Three 585 basketball players in the NBA. Fantastic. His first game, he had eight rebounds, hit a three. It's a young man who came from – it wasn't easy growing up. I'll just say that. Had some tough things go on in his life, raised by a single mom, and got to know him a little bit as I refereed a number of his games. Good kid, great competitor. Once saw him in a sectional semifinal, scored the last 18 points of the game to prevent his team from going home early. And during that run, imploring his teammates, we're not losing this game. Give me the damn ball. 
and hit three free throws with very little time left on the clock to send it to overtime where his team won in overtime. Great player, great kid, great story. Couldn't be prouder of Anthony Lamb joining again. Isaiah Stewart, who was the number one draft pick, and Thomas Bryant. Thomas, of course, tore up his knee. He's out for the year, but will be back next year. I just love the fact that Rochester, New York, has three kids from this area in the NBA. And Quentin Rose is in the G League playing well. Jalen Pickett at Siena is a kid who's been talked about as a potential draft prospect. Jonathan Williams at UB tearing it up. It's just, it's fantastic what has happened to basketball in this area, how good it's become, and how well it's represented now. And not only are these guys really good players, they're really good young men. It's it's something we should all be very proud of here in Rochester. Well, that's it for this week. Our first live show. Hope you enjoyed it. If you could, pass it around that we're going to be on every Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock, live. And, of course, you can catch it at all the usual places as well. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, everybody. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.